turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matter. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com the Certified Financial Planner with a team of six other ones is soon to greatly expand with a big announcement coming next week. Not really a money question we can't handle. We're trained in taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. We'll take the really any money question besides the individual stock buy, hold, or sell. I don't like to do that on radio. I do you like to talk about the markets though? So yesterday, Monday, the 11th, both tech and Bitcoin pulled back. Yeah, we're going to have to start talking about Bitcoin a lot more, I'm sure. Um, just because it's one of the most common, commonly asked questions. Um, I feel like people are asking me about it now on a, just a general basis, non-professional basis, as much as people were asking me about web stocks in 1999. <laughs> but uh, it's been a wild ride in the last week or so. I mean, we've seen prices at 40000 and a low, I think, a Monday of around 30000 uh, Bitcoin looks to open down another 6.5% today. So as soon as everybody starts talking about something, that's when you tend to get some of the pullbacks. Uh, tech yesterday down a bit. We're seeing this rotation. I'll talk about here in a minute. Um, slight rotation, and it's really more of a other indexes are performing slightly better than the S&P 500, which is pretty tech-heavy these days with a big amount of money in Apple and Amazon and things like that. And fintech is hot. Now, what is fintech? It's anything that you kind of combine an app with finance, whether it's something like Credit Karma with a K that that deals with your credit, whether it's a robo-advisor like Betterment, whether it's some sort of a you know app like Coinbase, which can hold your Bitcoin, by the way, it's prepping for an IPO shortly. Walmart is teaming up with Ribbit, R-I-B-B-I-T Capital, for a bunch of fintech investments. So who knows what financial products they're going to come out with. And you are seeing this profit-taking right now from Bitcoin after a pretty insane rally. Many that are in Bitcoin don't even know what it is. I told you a question that a friend asked me the other day that said, um, should I take some profits on my Bitcoin? I don't know anything about stocks. He, he literally thought Bitcoin was a stock doesn't know i mean most people don't truly understand i would say if you asked most people what is cryptocurrency most people don't understand and again my 
the funniest meme I ever saw is that you take everything you don't understand about computers and everything you don't understand about math and everything you don't understand about uh, currency and that's Bitcoin. So uh, it, it is here to stay. Um, the blockchain, which is how we should probably be voting, is here to stay. And there's a lot of other options besides Bitcoin. So it's going to be a very interesting year as we'll likely see an ETF approved for Bitcoin. Um, and you're seeing an announcement like this, like back in on November 12th, we're pleased to announce that all eligible PayPal account holders in the U.S. can now buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrency directly with PayPal. Download the PayPal app or log into your account to learn more. Saw that announcement. So you're going to want to learn about it. Now, the thing is, is that I don't mind if, you know, people have a piece of their speculation in a portfolio of something like that, because it is kind of here to stay, but it is the wild, wild west. You're going to deal with massive volatility. And I can't tell you if it's a good or bad investment because it's a store of value. And for a store of value like gold to go up, you have to have other people that are willing to pay more for it in the long run. With a stock, I can look at it and say, oh, look at the revenues. They're increasing. They're controlling their costs and their profits are increasing. I can look at EBIT. I can look at uh, payout ratios on dividends. I can look at all sorts of stuff that can tell me whether or not if I pay something for a stock and I'm going to get a certain amount of dividends and I see a certain amount of growth potential, this is what I think it'll be worth. This is, you can't do that with currencies or, or stores of value, right? Same thing with watches. Man, I, I, I wish I would have invested in a really, really nice watch or a bunch of different watches 15 years ago. But I didn't because I don't like wearing watches. Closest thing I've worn to a watch is I got a whoop for my birthday. W-H-O-O-P. Tracks your HRV and things like that. Tells you, should you work out? really hard today or no, you didn't sleep very good. You should probably kind of take it easy today. It's really about rest and recovery, tracks your sleep and things like that. That's the closest thing I've worn to a watch. So I haven't been a watch guy. I wish I was a watch guy. I wish I was an art guy. I've lived in this house for, gosh, I don't know, since 2014, still pretty bare walls. <laughs> I just, pictures and art, not really my thing. Wish it would have because they've gone up in value quite a bit, but so have my stocks. Look at the 400 plus percent return on the S&P 500 since March of 09. So stocks, I understand. Bitcoin is, is a little bit different and I don't mind if you, you own some cryptocurrency, but take some time to study it. Even if you don't, take some time to understand what it is because it's here to stay. You're going to see a lot of ETFs. You got your PayPal announcing it, things like that. So going to be an interesting, very volatile year for Bitcoin. Probably going to hear lots of rallies and lots of crashes because it's the wild, wild west when it comes to it. Now everybody's talking about it again, like it was two years ago. Okay. So still seeing a bit of rotation into value stocks versus growth stocks. Now growth stocks, people tend to pay a high price because revenue is growing pretty quick because there's a huge increase in the amount of goods or services that a growth stock is selling. So people are willing to pay a higher price to earnings ratio than the S&P 500 is trading at. Value stocks, investors in value stocks will look at PE ratios, price to sales ratios, price to book ratios, and try to get stocks that are lower 
on those on those values versus the S&P 500. Problem is, is that value tends to exclude a lot of tech stocks because tech stocks it's it's hard to get into but the way that some of the IP intellectual property is valued isn't quite right. So there's a lot of discussion in terms of the old style of value investing is kind of broken. But value indexes a couple of them that I look at are up about 2.65% for the year versus 1.44 on growth. And the S&P 500 is right in the middle. So, so far this year, and the 12 trading days that we've had, we're seeing a little bit of, not a rotation, because a rotation means a sell and then a buy. It's just more money flowing into value. Same with small caps. In the long run, smaller companies tend to outperform larger companies. That's 15, 20-year periods, and value tends to outperform growth. Over the last decade, neither one of those things have been true. So maybe we'll see it over the next decade. That's why you got to rebalance. Small cap's up about 6.33% versus large cap up, large cap up about 2%. Uh, so it's a good time to rebalance. But the thing about rebalancing right now is you really have to be careful on bonds. This has been one of the most difficult times in the 26 years that I've been doing this to say, okay, I want to sell stocks to rebalance do I really want to buy certain types of bonds? If we look at certain types of bonds, the most common one where you look at like AGG, which is an ETF, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, or even Vanguard Total Bond Market Index, where it kind of just owns a lot of different types of government bonds and some other things. The yield on AGG is 2.17%. The duration is 5.91%. Now, let's, let's just look at a bond. If a bond has a duration of 6 its price will rise about 6% if its yield drops by one percentage point. But the opposite is true. So if rates go up by 1%, the price of the bond will drop by 6%. And here's the deal. Google the chart of duration on the ag. It's way higher than the last 40 years, yet the yield is way lower. Check out the new Facebook page that we're starting to populate. It's just called Chad Burton Podcast. If you go to Facebook, check that out. And I was talking about rebalancing. Now, the idea of rebalancing is really important once you're past the age of about 50, especially. So prior to that, I don't really care personally if you know, you're, you're all stocks. I actually own a little bit of fixed income in my 401k so that when there's a correction, I always have something that I can sell some bonds and buy some stocks, rebalance. Um, but it's kind of more aggressive fixed income. But as you get closer to retirement, it's more important to think about some of the podcasts that I've done on, on how a balanced portfolio is so beneficial for retirement because it never feels like you're winning because on really good years of the stock market in the S&P 500, like the last few years, you're like, ah, I didn't earn as much. And then when the stock market declines and you're still down, you're like, ah, I still lost money. Asset allocation isn't working. But you're never falling as much. And so when you look at the actual real return over a long period, 10, 15, 20 years, even though your average annual return might have been lower, your real return, how much money that you're left with, is actually higher. It's math. It, it, it's kind of weird, but it's math. And the example that I constantly give is this. And average annual returns can, especially in the short term for, for mutual funds that you look at in your 401k, can be very misleading. So let's say you have... $100,000 invested in a fund and it drops by 
You went, you go into an aggressive fund, you buy it after it's already gone through the roof. It's gone up a couple hundred percent in the last few years. And all of a sudden you buy in and it drops by 50%. So your $100,000 becomes $50,000 on paper. And you're like, all right, well, I'm not going to sell and turn paper losses into real losses. So you hold on. In the next year, you're, you go up by 100%, right? So your 50000 becomes 100000 So your return over the two-year period, your real return was 2%. Or I mean, it was 0%, rather. <laughs> I don't know why I said 2%. I was looking at a screen with a number two on it. Um, so your, your real return is zero. You started with 100, two years later, you have 100. Now, what's the average annual return? It's negative 50 plus 100, that's 50, divided by 2 is 25. So you could look at it and say, that fund has a 25% average annual rate of return. That's not true, right? You had a zero return. And that's an example of, of why falling that much is, can, be, can be bad. So as you get closer and closer to retirement, yeah, balanced portfolios can be boring, but man, you sure end up with a lot of money over long periods of time. That's for sure. And so you have to rebalance though, because the market is positive 70% of the time. And you tend to have these three to five year really good runs and then a pullback. So by rebalancing, if you started the year with a 60-40 portfolio last year, it was probably like 70-30. So you peel off 10% of your stocks to go rebalance. But the types of bonds that you're buying is, again, the most... This is where active management is the most important that I've ever seen in my 26 years in the business. I do not care for index bond funds at this point in time. And this was true. I was saying this last year as well. In fact, one of the funds that I had with uh, Guggenheim that goes up against the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index absolutely crushed it. Like almost doubled the return of the Barclays. And the Barclays was up 6 7%. And so now I'm really kind of looking, okay, what are these guys going to do? Because that's kind of my core piece, that in an in a, uh, investment-grade bond fund. But every bond fund that I own, unless it's a really small account where we're just trying to get a little bit, is, is active management when it comes to bonds. Are fees higher than the indexes, than the, than the ETFs? Yes. But you get what you pay for. Because here's the deal. In the last year, AGG ETF, which tracks the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, it's the way that you can actually invest in the index, is up 6%. And the yield is only 2.17% with a duration of 5.91%. So as explaining before the break, what is duration? A, a, a measure of duration is really the sensitivity to interest rates. So if you have a duration of six, if interest rates go up by 1%, then that bond or fund could lose 6% of its value. Now, what's interesting about a bond, individual bond, if you hold it to maturity, you're just going to get your money back as long as the institution or that entity stays intact. It's, you, you lend it, you, you give it back. On a mutual fund like you own in your 401k and everything else, what happens is interest rates go up, the bond funds fall in value, and then all the investors out there freak out and they run off the cliffs like lemmings. They start selling it. It forces the manager to sell bonds at a loss. That's why you're seeing a lot of active management funds increase their cash levels slightly so far. Now, I will tell you right now that there's no reason for interest rates to go up drastically. So I don't think this is a near-term problem. We are seeing a little bit of an increase 
in the 10-year treasury lately. Um, but it's not like some massive movement in bonds. I don't see a 1% increase in the 10-year treasury right now. Now, could it happen later on or next year? Yes, because if we have a large fiscal package, the economy is already doing much better than people thought. It's the small businesses and restaurants and travel and leisure that are getting crushed. Everything else is doing better than ever expected. And unless people are in that business of a of a restaurant or anything tied to travel or leisure, most people that I know had the best year ever last year, despite COVID. And so the economy is doing better than people thought. So if you have this big fiscal package to stimulate the economy, then that's kind of inflationary and the fight inflation rates tend to go up. So you have to think about this more in like one to two years out. Because if you just Google the chart of duration of the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, you used to call, you called Lehman, but that ended in what, 07? Um, the duration, the sensitivity to interest rates are higher than it's been in the last 40 years. And meanwhile, the rates are the lowest I've seen in the last 26 years in the business. So a lot of the good bonds that are either outperforming or are, you know, fell less during the crisis this year or any other time of interest rates go up, tend to be actively managed and, and they're outperforming. So there's some, there's some shops out there that have actively managed bond funds, but you've got to kind of build a core bond fund strategy with things that kind of look like the aggregate, things that have investment grade bonds with corporations that's, you know, double A rated and above or A rated and above bonds. And then you have your outliers. You have uh, your shorter term bonds, which aren't doing so hot lately. And then you have your unconstrained bond funds and some also some international bond exposure. So I'd really focus on actively managed right now. Same with international and emerging markets. International emerging markets, those funds, that's where active management have paid off in the last year. It's kind of a stock picker's market there because of currency and political issues. So look at active management for small cap and emerge for small for international emerging and small cap. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Let's keep on the focus today. And by the way, if you need some help with your financial planning, your retirement plan, investment management, just go to chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. I'm going to talk to people that are 50 plus right now about rebalancing. Because you just you just heard me talk about the, the bond issue, right? And when I see people over 50 that start to focus on, okay, I got to transition to a retirement distribution strategy versus an accumulation strategy. I'm going to retire in the next 15 years. So I want to slow transition into a balanced portfolio and a certain amount of stocks, bonds, and cash. Well, right now we've gone through this big run up in the market and I'm seeing a lot of people overweight in stocks, especially single stock exposure again in the tech area. And with the duration issues that I mentioned on bond funds and state budgets, because you look at some California tax-free bond issues and interest I mean, it's, they're so low. I mean, sub 2% on some of the safer funds. So we got state budgets, low interest rates, duration on bond funds, paying off a mortgage for those that are 15 years or less to retirement can make a lot of sense in many cases. 
Now, I'm going to make a couple of assumptions here. Assume a normal risk tolerance, right? I'm I'm not addressing those people with so much assets that, that they can be very aggressive and own all stocks that pay dividends in real estate, and they don't even spend the dividends from the stocks plus the income from the real estate. Most retirees are drawing somewhere between 3 and 6% of their portfolio to live. That means they're drawing some principal, right? Because yield on a balanced portfolio, because bonds are so low, is only around 2.5% or so. So I'm assuming a normal risk tolerance. I'm assuming a normal financial situation where, where you, you have just enough to retire, where you're drawing 3 to 5% of your portfolio, 3 to 6% or so. I'm assuming no more desire for more real estate. I'm assuming you hit the point in your life where you're like, eh, real estate's, you know, for buying another rental property doesn't sound that too attractive. I just want to simplify life. Um, plus the income isn't as great as it used to be. So no more desire for real estate because you could always leverage some, you know, some dollars to buy more rental properties if you can ever put, you know, 20, 30% down on a traditional loan and have positive cash flow after you pay your mortgage, your property taxes, your property manager insurance, maintenance, and things like that. That's a good way to to leverage money if you have built the proper financial plan. And I'm assuming your stock allocation is already too high. You're trying to to peel back the risk in your portfolio. And so what I see is, is people have big RSUs that are vesting that they don't need to spend. They're trying to figure out where do they put that money? Your RSUs vest as your RSUs vest for the company that you work for, if you already own over 10% of that stock in terms of your net worth, as those RSUs vest, restricted stock units, RSUs, there's no reason to continue to hold them. As they vest, they're 100% taxable, so there's no tax purpose for you to continue to hold them. You should sell them and reinvest somewhere else so you don't get too overweight in your company stock. So as you sell stock or you have extra income from a large bonus a cash inflow from an inheritance, whatever it may be, if you already own you know, 80, 90% stocks and you're trying to add fixed income, then, then you're buying into bonds. But what about your mortgage? Your mortgage is a cash outflow. And as a cash outflow, it affects how much cash you need to have on hand when you retire. The lower the mortgage, the less cash that you need on hand. And cash is doing nothing right now. I mean, the best you get is around a half a percent for FDIC-insured money markets. Again, all-time low, 26 years in the business. Cash isn't doing a lot. You have to have the cash, though. You have to have three years worth of portfolio draws in cash. That formula is your expenses, all of them, including taxes and health insurance costs that you might not be thinking about, like Medicare Part B. All of your expenses minus your dependable income, like Social Security, If you've owned a rental property for years and years and it's really stable, I might include that and I might include some of the dividends on your stock. So your expenses minus those sources of income times three. You need three years worth of that in cash because that's how much you're going to draw from your portfolio every year. And as long as you have that in cash, you can make it through major market corrections because during market corrections, seven out of 10 years, the market's positive, three out of 10 years, the market's negative. And as long as during those three years or until the point where the market recovery recovers, which sometimes takes five to seven years, as long as you're living off of your cash plus your dividends and interest, you won't be forced to sell anything and your portfolio can recover and you will make lots and lots of money over a long period of time. As long as you're not drawing too much out of your portfolio, of course. So So if you pay off your mortgage, say your mortgage is $2,000 a month and you're close to retirement, you know, 
10, 15 years away. If your mortgage is $2,000 a month, if you multiply that by 36, that's $72,000 that you, if you pay that off, that's $72,000 less in cash that you're going to need. And I got to tell you, people, when they have a paid off mortgage, feel pretty good about it at retirement. Now, would I pay off my mortgage at 46 years old? No, I would not. But I probably will when I'm, you know, 60 and unless I'm, if I don't want any more real estate and I've got, feel like I got plenty of stocks. I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'll let you know when I get there, but it depends on where rates are. Right now, rates are so low. We used to be able to easily say, don't pay off your mortgage. Instead, take that money and invest it in tax-free bonds because the rates were high enough so that by the time you pay the interest on your mortgage and get the tax deduction, you were making more money by having that money sitting in bonds earning 4 or 5% that was tax-free. Well, now you're sub 2% on those funds. And also, most retirees are no longer itemizing deductions, which included the mortgage interest. Instead, they're taking the standard deduction. They're not even getting a tax break out of their mortgage. So that means that people that are you know, 50, 60 years old, 10, 15 years from retirement are having to make that decision. Okay, well, I've got to rebalance my portfolio. I've got to use some of this cash I've inherited or use some of this cash from my RSUs that just vested or a stock option, or maybe my company was purchased, I had a windfall. Should some of that go to a mortgage instead of bonds? And that might work out well for you. You got to consult a certified financial planner, which is trained in taxes, and then you verify it like a team. So the CFP tends to work with tax planning software, but also uses a CPA to verify tax calculations. And you look at your overall financial plan and how how does that affect your overall financial plan? Does it help with your Monte Carlo simulation? That's your, your success rate, essentially, for retirement. You can, you can run all those scenarios because it's a very careful decision. Before you pay off your home, if you decide that, yeah, you know what? Paying off my mortgage is going to, it sounds better and it feels better than putting much money in bonds right now. But before you do that, you need to have a plan for long-term care. So you're 50 years old. You're like, what are you talking about long-term care? That's something that 80-year-olds deal with. Well, I tell you what, I got into the business at 19 years old with my grandfather and all of his clients were older than he was and he was in his 60s. And so I was constantly dealing with phone calls from a spouse saying, my spouse has gone into a nursing home. It's, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it and continue to live. And we had to do this, learn how to, I had to learn how to do what's called Medicaid planning. It's called Medi-Cal in California. So it's basically, how do you get one person's nursing home paid for so the other person doesn't go into poverty? And so that's why there's long-term care insurance. There's life insurance hybrid policies where you can use the death benefit early to pay for it. There's the idea that you eventually sell your home and move into assisted living or a reverse mortgage or your kids help you out. No matter what, you have to have a plan and your family has to understand the plan. Because look, when you're 80 years old, you forget what you know your name is when you wake up. You're not going to be able to explain that plan to your kids at that point. So you need to talk to your family about what that plan is because they might not know about things like reverse mortgages. That's what people use to stay in their own home and pay for care so that they don't have to sell their home so that their home gets a step up in basis when they pass and it goes to their kids tax-free. So you have to have that plan for long-term care, which is assisted living, in-home care, stuff that Medicare does not pay for when you go into retirement. You think it might, but it doesn't. So, Another option, though, too, that 
we, we see out there is a lot of people are scared to sell stock because they might pay taxes if it's a taxable account. So another option, if your allocation is too high in stocks overall, and you have this cash infusion from something, inheritance, stock options, whatever it may be, I I do like some of the unconstrained bond funds that are normal bond funds, not tax-free ones. And you might be able to do that inside your IRA or 401k. So another option, if your allocation to equities or stocks is too high, if you have a big cash inflow, you can sell some of the equities in your IRA or 401k, put the money into stable value fund if that option is available inside your 401k, and then take the cash that you get and invest in tax-efficient ETFs and stocks in your taxable account. So your overall household allocation is the same, but you made your adjustment in a tax-free account, which is your IRA. Tax-free meaning you can trade all you want. There's no taxes that are due. So where this came into play is that had a client, his allocation, his family's allocation was already dead on where it needed to be. And he did have a stable value fund available in a 401k. And that's kind of like a bank account, a high yielding bank account. They're usually averaging about 2% in a 401k without that duration risk, that risk of falling in value if rates go up. And you know, got a bunch of money in and it allowed him to say, oh, I got to get this cash to work, but I don't want to take more risk. So we sold 500K of 401k equities moved out in a stable value fund that freed up 500K to invest in in equities in his trust account. And he got cash to work, but his risk didn't change. It didn't alter. And check this out. If you're not sure what to do on your 401k, if it's gotten really large, you're close to retirement, it's over a half a million, and you're with Schwab or Fidelity, they have these things called brokerage links. And we can manage those directly and actually buy whatever we want, almost whatever we want for you. So if you need help with that, just shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. Trying to do this a little bit last year, we got busy with a big business project and I was trying to get a little bit more on health and travel into the show because part of it is, is just the idea of retirement has changed for me over the years anyways, dealing with this business since I was 19 years old. And uh, almost 26 years in the business. This, this is my 26th year, I guess you could say. And you know, I'd spent a lot of time building a business, working a lot of hours, not traveling a whole heck of a lot. So now I'm trying to travel more, especially before my kids are all out of college and off doing their own thing with their own kids. So that it's, it's important. It's something that I want to do. And the people that tend to travel a lot in retirement tend to be pretty happy from what I've noticed. They tend to stay busy and healthy. And then in terms of health, I just cringe when I hear these stories that a lot of people deal with. They go into retirement unhealthy, and instead of focusing on their health in the first part of retirement, they kind of just become less active. They become less active physically and mentally, and their retirement's just as awful. I hear stories, oh, this, I'm doing going to the doctor on Monday and the dentist on Wednesday, and it's just a constant like, storyline of what doctors they're going to see and what meds they're on. So I haven't done a lot on health lately. So I'm going to talk about thyroid and inflammation. And again, I am not a doctor. Don't take anything I say as advice. I want you to kind of look and read about these things as, as I talk about them to, to see maybe, maybe this is you, something you need to have help with. So the last two times I took a bud panel, it showed my thyroid labs is slightly elevated, indicating thyroid is a little bit underactive. And... 
if you've been listening for a long time, you know, I'm really into health, wrestled it in, in college and I've always been really into health and work out all the time. Stay really, really healthy. So I was kind of confused. Like, why, why is this, why is these readings like this? Is it diet? Is it hereditary? And I got to tell you, this is one of the most confusing issues I've read about because your thyroid, it's saying, is underactive, but it's called hypothyroidism if you're in that state. It's a condition in which your thyroid gland doesn't produce enough of certain crucial hormones. And that can slow your metabolism. It can make you gain weight and feel sluggish or depressed. And you might have heard the term Hashimoto's disease. That happens when your body's disease-fighting immune system attacks the thyroid. And when you think about anything that comes to immune system or autoimmune or that cytogen storm where your immune system overreacts as a result of COVID, that's kind of scary, right? Because I'm doing so many things to increase my immune system. Even first thing in the morning when I do what's called oil pulling, which read about that if you want to read about something interested, interesting. Um, so this might be, if you, like, let's say you're working out, you're eating right, you still can't lose weight. Maybe this could be the issue. Now, I have really no sy- symptoms. Uh, I'm not like eight pack, but I still have six pack. But I have a little extra fluff on the sides like a lot of people because of COVID because my gym's closed and I'm trying to do cardio in my house, which is not the greatest. Um, so I don't really have any symptoms from this, but if you do, typically people that have hypothyroidism have fatigue, lethargy, they're feeling cold all the time. They might have sudden hair loss or hair dryness, brittle nails, constipation, skin, high cholesterol, irritability, sensitivity to cold, slow heart rate. And again, like the weight gain that I was talking about. So they hear those people that, oh, it's, well, it's a thyroid issue. Okay, that may be, but if you are, if you're working out right, you're eating really, really healthy and you still can't lose weight, this could be an issue. Now, I've got, I had no issues, so I, I had to do some research because my mom's dealt with thyroid issues and she's super healthy. She's 72, 73-ish. She looks like she's 55. But I've got a much younger brother, half-brother, who doesn't really eat that great. And he's dealt with it and he had to fix it with some diet, take some medication. So I'm like, all right, well, my mom also mentioned battling autoimmune issues and autoimmune issues sounds awful, but it's really kind of an inflammation situation where your body uses its immune system to go attack different parts. And I'm like, okay, well, I do battle some tendonitis in my shoulder and my elbow from way too much computer work. I've got this crazy thumb issue that I've been dealing with, um, so then I started getting kind of scared about inflammation issues, which is scary because of COVID and how it's tied to thyroid. And then I get scared because Western medicine wants to just throw you on medication. So what I'm doing first is battling it with food. What am I eating that might be causing it? Well, I eat a lot of cheese. That's dairy. Sometimes that can help deal with inflammation issues. So what I'm thinking for me personally is that stuff that I'm eating, my food sensitivity, is causing some inflammation, which is causing it to affect my thyroid. So I'm going to deal with this first with the help of a doctor when it comes to my diet. Now, again, my, my reading is just slightly, it's like 0.2 over the top range when it comes to the thyroid levels, but thyroid superfoods could be considered roasted seaweed, salted nuts, baked fish, frozen yogurt. Those are things that can help you with it. And then there's the paleo AI or anti-inflammatory diet. And so it's a, 
it's it's basically where you take the paleo diet, which is called kind of the caveman diet. It's not just meat. Okay, that's what a caveman sounds like, but it's a very healthy, clean eating diet, and they take certain foods out. So if you're dealing with inflammation and you're dealing with some thyroid issues, you might want to look into the paleo anti-inflammatory diet. That's what I'm going to try out for a while and remove some foods from my diet to see if that immediately helps. The other thing that I noticed is that with COVID, I've been ordering a lot more food into the house. And part of it is because I'm trying to support our local restaurants, which I love so much. And those are the people that are hurting. And I was reading into it. Most restaurants cook with a lot of canola, polyunsaturated fat. And that is so bad for you. I mean, if, if you cook, you should be using coconut oil, virgin cold-pressed olive oil, ghee to cook. Does it have saturated fat? Yeah, but it's so much better for you in my opinion. Just read up on the type of oil that you're cooking with. Because I, the other thing is Brussels sprouts, for some people, can cause thyroid issues. And I've been eating a lot of that from this one local restaurant. And if they're cooking with bad oil... And that's causing all these issues. So take a look at your diet. If you're dealing with inflammation and thyroid issues and, and sluggishness, weight gain, things like that, really look at your diet. Read about it. It's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. I like to learn stuff that's new. Hopefully that helps you out. If you want to find me, help with your financial planning, money management, investment management, just go to chadburton.com. Links to Facebook, Twitter, podcasts, they're all there. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. 